guys, what's up? I know it's been a while. The summer has just been flying by. I have a lot of interviews coming up, so I can't wait for you guys to, to listen to it. I just gotta, again, I'm editing all of this myself. Just give me a chance and I will have it for you very, very soon. This is kind of sort of a back to school episode. All you architecture students that are listening to me, because this is for you. I, I got a chance to interview two NOMAS students from the Spritzer School of Architecture. You know, you swear that I actually went to this school with the amount of, of graduates and students that I've talked to <laughs> going into this school. I don't know why I'm drawn into this school. I'm trying to think why am I drawn to all these students? And I think one is because the school is very diverse and all the women that I've talked to are diverse and they are doing their thing and they're just putting themselves out there. They're making a difference. Not to say that none of you guys out there who doesn't go to this school aren't putting yourselves out there. I'm not saying that at all. It's just, I don't know. It's just, they, they pop up on my feed more. I, I don't know. But if you are interested in coming on this podcast and shouting out to your school and just telling me all the awesome things that you guys are doing, just, just let me know. I'm on IG all day, every day, Arcus Polly. You can also hit me up on Twitter, Arcus Polly too. And, and just, you know, like, Hey, Melissa, what's up? what's up give me some love too i'm like all right sure I'll, i have a lot of love to give i think also going back to why i'm so drawn to this school is that it's a commuter school for the most part a lot of the students that go there are from new york or from the tri-state area and the school i graduated from and you know both schools actually on that thing i went to wentworth institute of technology for a little bit and then i went to university of district of columbia that's where i hold my Arc from they're both commuter schools like I don't know if UGC has a dormitory yet I haven't been following that but definitely Wentworth Wentworth I'm sorry I did Wentworth it's Wentworth I don't I, yeah it was strictly a commuter school a lot of New Englanders are are you know is is regional I should say and it was hard pressed to find someone from the DMV area but yeah and I think that you being in architecture and the mindset that I had to, that you live in the dorms, you experience that only because, you know, you live in, you live in studio and to track your model on the T or on the bus, MTA or like whatever to, to bring all your supplies to your studio space. Like that's just, that was just horrendous I have some horror stories about that like you know models or even like presentations with your either with your mylar I'm dating myself with the mylar or with the even even when you have to print right just tracking your stuff across like whatever it's always like an adventure in itself. Going back to, to the diversity kick, it's both Nicole and Gabriella are both multiracial or biracial. Even when I was talking to Primavera, everybody's from different places, even though they're all like New Yorkers, basically. They're first generations for the most part, you know? I, I have yet to talk to someone that's like come from money. It's a struggle. And I see myself in that. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to it. So yeah, as always, guys, you know, I like to keep this short and savorable, 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 tasteful. 
trying not to say sweet because I've been saying sweet a lot every time. So, but anyways, again, this is for the students, but you're more than welcome to listen and, and get that perspective. So here you go. My name is Nicole Bass. I'm a rising fifth year at City College of New York, pursuing my bachelor's of architecture. I was born and raised in New York, floated between Queens and Brooklyn, Brooklyn mainly. And then my family, they immigrated here. So my mother is from the Philippines and she grew up there for eight years and they came over. My dad grew up at the time Soviet Union. They came over here when he was 15 and then they both met at Brooklyn College. So CUNY system has always kind of been in the blood. And um, in choosing City College, I think what happened was, again, I just love New York City. And every college I went to was, oh, look, we have internships here. We have, you know, summer classes here. Well, I could just choose to be here and do that for my entire year. And my mom, my dad were very pro-CUNY just because of the reputation and all that. So that was a big influence growing up. I think, I, I don't know, the classic first generation family where, you know, they were learning, my grandparents and stuff were learning English and then my mom and dad were learning English. So when I was younger, they definitely had an accent. Both um, spoke uh, Ilocano, which is like a dialect of Tagalog and Tagalog is the main language of the Philippines. And then my dad had a Russian accent. But then as my sister was born, she's turning 13 this year, you know, kind of faded and stuff. So it was always interesting having to I didn't have to translate thankfully but definitely having to explain the system to them was always an interesting conversation to have because they didn't do their first K through eight here and stuff I feel I'm missing questions uh no so it's a whole bunch of questions it being you first generation how was that in, in school was it diverse or it didn't matter or I went to so my The way I did school was very random, or it was just not the typical thing. I jumped school to school either every year or every two years, either because the school only went up to a certain grade, or I ended up going to a Roman Catholic school because that's what my grandparents are. are. So the late 2000s, that's when the archdiocese was closing all the schools down and merging them. So I was part of that. And yeah, so... I ended up going to six schools for K through eight. You know, some were more mixed than others. I ended up in my middle school was predominantly more Italian, but everything else was pretty much Black or Latina. And then I was the only resemblance of Asian. But it didn't really matter. I think everyone had their own ethnicities and background that they were bringing to school. So it was nice to throw in a Filipino and Russian mix because also people thought I was kind of not weird, but interesting, I guess, because I'm biracial. So they're like, oh, I'm only this, I'm only that. Cool, you're so cool. No, I don't, I don't know what to say to that as a seven-year-old. But how'd you get into architecture? Why, why architecture? I was pretty much, I was pretty lucky. I always loved architecture. I think I always loved the built environment and how things changed. As I mentioned, I bounced between Queens and Brooklyn and my family's throughout New York City. Filipinos are everywhere. <laughs> so we're along the East Coast. Um, in the west coast so we would go visit them in florida maryland virginia all that even montreal and just seeing how everything they're my family right so i think they have similar identities as me but then they grew up in completely different worlds and it was just so interesting to have that conversation with them just about where they've been and how their school system is different or their you know even their houses are different than us so picking up on that as well as seeing how New York City, there's always cranes in the sky. It just really piqued my interest in the sense of 
who is possibly doing all of this work? Who is funding it? Who is even asking for this to happen? And here I thought New York City was in the rut because, you know, the MTA is crazy and, you know, nitro housing is crazy. My grandparents grew up in subsidized housing. Uh, when they came here, they they got subsidized housing. So then I grew up in that house. And it was just like, all these extremes. And it just interested me to pursue it and understand it and, you know, be better and know how to fix, you know, a drywall. If, you know, again, so much family, so my uncles or cousins through football or soccer in the house, someone's got to fix it. So, so that always got me interested. Were you ever in any pre-architecture? Yeah, in high school I was. I, I, I purposefully chose to do an art school, but it was a boutique. It was called Gramercy Arts High School. So similar to Murrow High School or LaGuardia where everyone had a major. So I had a drawing major. I was a 2D drawing major, the charcoal. And then... I pursued Cooper Union's Saturday programs that they only have for New York City public school students. And luckily I just found that they had an architecture program along with, you know, some other sculpture and stuff that. And then my professor, or my teacher at the time, she mentioned ACE, which is Architecture, Construction, Engineering of Greater New York. So I was in, in a firm for three years. And they were mentoring me and stuff. And I kept bothering them about questions. And, you know, is it worth even being an architect before I even, like, started anything? So, yeah, high school, I was pretty involved, I guess. Okay. How about you, Gabriella? I didn't know so much about Nicole, so that was kind of crazy. I feel we actually have a lot of things that are similar. So both of my parents, they also came out of the CUNY system. My dad, he's from City College of New York. And then my mom, she's from City Tech. And they both emigrated here. My mom came here when she was 20, and my dad came here when she wa- when he was four, something really young. And uh, so yeah, they're both from DR, but the, they all you know Dominican can kind of anything. So my dad, he's half Hispanic white and Hispanic Asian, and then my mom, she's she's mixed, a quarter Hispanic white, but everything else is more on the on the black side, Hispanic black. So I'm kind of biracial too or triracial or whatever but at the same time it's growing up it's always been weird where people are kind of oh what does that mean for you or some people will be oh but you're not really this you're the other or you know those weird annoying things especially when people try to say cover up you know because we're just talking about politics and whatever I remember I was dating somebody and they were like you're not black or something and I was like I'm black and they're like no you're Dominican and I'm like no you can be both one's a nationality and one's a race, those are two different things. And you know, it's just those things of being mixed where it's people, you get to hear so many different people's opinion on your race, which is kind of funny and kind of irritating at the same time. And then also appearance wise, people try to force you into one box based on what you look like. And it's, I know what I am and I know what I look like. And because I know the ingredients, I guess I'm just going to keep going with that. I'm not going to just write myself off as other, you know, or write myself off as whatever you think I look like. So that, that's one thing that got to me. And then also when I was coming for picking schools, like my parents were both very into going to CUNY because, well, going to City College of New York. And uh, it was just because one of my grandparents, they live right by there. It's the same house that my dad lived pretty much his whole life. And they were like, it's cheap. You're going to have a 15 minute commute. Don't got to pay for anything. And, you know, that's pretty much it for me. I couldn't pick anything else, which was fine now because I honestly didn't have a heart, a strong opinion. I had opinions of where I wanted to go, but now going to City College, I see how many of the the positives are. Yeah, 
I probably would not be getting any of that at these random cute campus schools. And so yeah, that that's it. And then going towards architecture specifically, I never thought about architecture at all in high school and call in the you know elementary school and etc. I just never thought about it or talked about it. And I I grew up. I was born in the Bronx, but after um, age seven, I moved to New Jersey, South Central New Jersey, which is very cute and suburban and kind of cookie cutter in a way. And I just, I don't know why I never thought about it at all. And uh, so when I went to City College, I was going to go into computer science because that's what my dad was into. And he was always telling me and my sister, you're going to be scientists, you're going to be programmers, whatever it is, you're going to be engineers. He just wanted us to be mini hymns. That wasn't really my passion ever. I took, you know, computer science and engineering. I was even robotics in my high school. And I kind of just did it because it was professional. And I I knew that there's a future and, and that's kind of it. I didn't have any love or passion in it. While I was growing up, I've always loved drawing. I was so crazy about anime and things like that. And so when I was in college on the third or second day of school, my mom, she was computer science is so not you. You know, you had so much art and this and that. Like I used to do theater as well. And she's, this isn't, this isn't you. Why don't you do something more, you know, special? And going to the Grove School of Engineering, everyone there just kind of looks so depressed. But I think that's how all engineering schools are because, you know, everyone's so busy studying, you know, for all those finals and things. So I, I kind of felt this thing, like, this is not for me. So I just went on a little walk. And somebody from outside of the architecture building described the people from our school, the architecture school, as granola people. But we do have our own feeling where it just feels life is calmer and a little bit more utopia feeling. People aren't crying on the floor every day, you know, it feels a lot happier. And so that really brought me to decide, oh, I want to go here because I, I immediately, like the night of, I looked up, you know, what is architecture? What is involved? Because I definitely didn't want to do something that was only STEM, you know, just math and engineering. I realized that, you know, I'm, I don't enjoy having a not so well-rounded course, you know, for the next four years or five years now. I don't want to really learn, you know, only math or only this. I don't want to disregard English, art, you know, all those different things. So when I saw the, how well-rounded the course was, I was this is something I could definitely do as a major and as well as a career, because I really enjoy engaging the right side and left side of my brain. I never had a favorite subject or anything like that. So that's why I picked architecture. And it wasn't, and then as I started going to it, I started realizing how much of a privilege it was and how enjoyable it is. I didn't even know that you did arts and crafts with modeling. And I'm like, wow, this, this, that's really what makes going to architecture school so livable, at least to me, it's, it's really fun. That's such a sweet story. You're the first person I've ever interviewed that was, I think I'm just going to do architecture in school, in college. Sometimes I get people who have done a whole major, graduated, and then found architecture in, in master's. You're the first person that was, I don't computer science. Well, not people. I don't my major. I'm going to switch majors into architecture. So... Yeah, that was a really big YOLO thing for me because <laughs> I, I I was seeing how depressed the students were and I was I don't want this to be my life. And I was something that's still creative, but at the same time makes money. And I was, I got to switch now because I don't want to waste time. <laughs> so, yeah. So how did you two meet? Was it through Nomas or? 
Kind of? I think so. Yeah. The school is really tiny. Well, I mean, the architecture school is very small. So we've seen each other before that, but we never really talked until yeah. Omas. The school is only 500 students, so we are bound to have been on your crit or, you know, passed by or something. Start in the same year, right? Is it because there's not a lot of minorities or not a lot of women or? Actually, for our school, it's pretty diverse. We have, I think we actually have more women than men. And then we're just not in the same grade. I don't know. Or you're one year older than me, right? Or one year past me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, our school is really diverse. I would say. Any stories of an architecture student you guys want to share? Oh yeah, Samantha, just start throwing like <laughs> gossip. I would say definitely learning about, every time we have a studio project, I didn't, like I feel there's so many things I didn't know about architecture or what architecture really was. And one of the biggest things was a lot of times the studios they tell you, oh, you have to make, you know, something or whatever, but it's, it's so heavy on you becoming an inventor of sorts. And it's, oh, you need to make something that is, you know, going to, right now my studio is about, my, my project specifically with my two other partners is about solving home insecurity within Harlem for students specifically, for college students. And it's so hard, you know, trying to tackle the issues between, you know, the public, the audience, how the user feels within the space and how they're going to interact with other students as well to make sure that people aren't looking down at them or saying, oh, this person is homeless. So our whole thing is how do we make this without disclosing anyone's financial background? And it feels a lot, yeah, we're doing architecture, we're trying to figure out what rooms and things that house going to be placed, the structure, construction, everything. But at the same time, it also kind of feels business and activism at the same time. And it's, that's really hard to do sometimes, especially when you're trying to like present something in studio. It's, it's so hard to find out how much time you want to use into researching this, as well as researching the actual logistics of making it happen. And that's something I did not expect at all. And I really enjoy that. I think for me, in terms of horror stories of architecture, um, all of the people that accidentally cut themselves, and I'm one of them, I was, what was I doing? Oh, I was doing some project for construction tech and we were doing models for it at uh, whatever the construction detail. And it was right before class and I just had to cut one piece of styrofoam and then the model would have been finished. But then of course I was cutting it this way and I was in a rush and just not paying attention. So I ended up getting stitches all along here. It's 13, I think. Not fun. I ended up missing construction tech to go to the ER. That's how you do it. You, you, yeah. you lose a finger <laughs> to get out of class. People have, I've seen and heard so much but i think i think that's the good and bad thing about architecture is that you want to get everything done before class but then you also want to be safe and those two sometimes don't work out and in a less dramatic example all-nighters right some people will do all-nighters for a week straight no sleep and then they'll if anything they'll sleep in class it's so bad for our health so i think yeah architecture school definitely has maybe more aware of of a need for work and life balance. I also I did internships too, so it's work, school, social life, and then architecture. Because <laughs> even I, I minor in economics and then we had gen ed courses. So that was so much different than like that that's one type of mindset and then architecture was another. So switching amongst all four things is not helpful. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been prioritizing the work-life balance as well as time management is definitely, that's something that I tell literally every studio partner I get because it's, I, as I said before, I used to sleep with my grandma to go to like, watch on the paper dorming or anything like that. And she sleeps at 10, exactly. And I have to be asleep at 10. <laughs> and I can't stay over at the school because she's just going to worry. So I always tell all my studio partners, it's, I can't stay back. And there's no way around it unless she's going to kick me out from stressing out all day. You can just tell when somebody has no sleep. And it always bugs me because <laughs> I have to get my sleep. So I'll wake up earlier if I know I have something. Or like I'll just, you know, I, I have this schedule where it's, I go to school at 8, whether or not I have class. And then I leave at eight, whether or not I have class, you know, I just keep doing work between those 12 hours. And so that's always what keeps me not staying over. And then I've only stayed over one and so far in these three years. I wish I could put that on my resume. During COVID, the first, second semester of COVID, last semester, the fall semester, one of my partners, she just could not go to sleep on time. And it used to bug me so much because... I mean, it doesn't, it shouldn't bug me because it's somebody else trying to deal with their own, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their own set of challenges, but it still bothered me because the difference is so obvious. And I think that's what companies and schools need to understand that, you know, when somebody is sleep deprived, it's harder to speak. It's harder to think logically. It's harder to make real decisions. And I was just having like this thought to myself in the shower, what am I going to do when I get a real job and they're expecting, you know, me to work past time or me to work on weekends and crazy things that I, I really don't want, you know, my time to be, you know, someone, oh, well, you have time. No, I, I signed up to work at this certain time, you know, from nine to five or nine to six, however long it, it really is. Because honestly, those are the best times that anyone has, you know. That's time they're the most alert, most awake, most everything. And if you're going to expect whether me to do an assignment from 12 to 3, well, you're getting the worst hours of my cognitive abilities. And as well, you're making me, you know, more likely to get Alzheimer's disease, more likely to like have aging, more likely to just make a mistake where you don't need it. So I think definitely schools, they, they have a responsibility to give students more boundaries to tell two students to set more boundaries and so that way and also to continue that through company work because honestly I feel it, it makes sense to stay up for a specific night but once it becomes you know a weekly daily thing that's when you start destroying your own mental health and it's sometimes you know if you do it too much it's not reversible but yeah I don't know I get really into health stuff sometimes <laughs> a couple of things came into my mind when you were talking the one thing was how you said your grandma, right? How you, you're living with her because it's closer to school. During, uh, what, before pre-quarantine. Yeah. And how you have to abide by her rules. Nicole, are you living at home too? Pre-quarantine, I lived at home, but I had my own room, but I was all the way in East New York. So the commute was practically two hours, mm -hmm. but now I'm, I'm by Harlem. Okay. So you were fourth year when the pandemic hit, right? Okay. You spent the, your first four years commuting. Okay. I'm just trying to hit a ton. Yeah. Did your family have rules too? It's tough. I think in terms of rules, the thing is when I went to high school, I went to college, my sister was going into third and fourth grade. So her schooling and making sure that she was okay. Someone picked her up, made sure she had dinner, breakfast, all that. 
you know, it took, you know, a village to raise a kid. So, you know, priorities and the first of mine was always her. And same with me, I would leave school sometimes to go pick her up. So when I got into college, everyone was kind of this honor system. I'm trusting you that you are making the right decisions to do all these things. But in high school, I, I did so many extracurricular activities. I went to freaking Saturday school. So I built that trust up with my family, I would say. And that, you know, things happen. I also helped with my theater department. So, you know, we'd help build freaking sets till 11 o'clock. So they understood that I wasn't just lollygagging and I'm just hanging out to hang out. I'm actually here doing stuff. And then they got to see those benefits, or see what I was doing because then they would come to the show or they would, you know, have the art gallery and, oh, this is what you're spending time on. Or when I graduated, they'll see all, essentially see my resume and, like, oh, Nicole, like, you've done a lot. Therefore, I could place some trust into you. But it turned into, again, health, as Gabby was mentioning. It's not healthy for me to come home at four o'clock in the morning every day or, you know, during midterms and finals. So it, coming home late was more of, Nicole, are you okay? Are you eating enough? And for any Filipino family, just, oh, bring, bring food to school and share with everyone. Make sure you eat. Make yeah, sure. I think exactly. that's all across the board. Make sure you eat, you know. But <laughs> what culture you're in, it's, the food is... This. So vital. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever felt like you were missing out on that college experience, not living on campus? I think definitely compared to other schools. But at the same time, I feel like for architecture school, it's kind of a plus too, because I don't really have time. So it's also knowing that there's not even anything out there. It's okay. I don't know. For me, it's fine. I don't, I didn't come for school for parties and things. I think for me, I always saw New York City as your playground or campus. And that was what all the big schools were selling me on. Saying, look, during the summer, during this time period, you get to use New York City as your campus. So then when they're like, oh, but majority of the year, you're going to be spending it in some place upstate or wherever where, you know, there's not a variety of architecture and the nearest anything you have to drive to is so unappealing. And, was, and then my, my friends went to those schools and they're like, they missed this. They called me all the time saying, oh, how's getting soup dumplings? How's getting boba? Authentic stuff. Yeah. And I was like, thank God I do not go there. And then in terms of the party scene or, or social scene, again, New York City has events left and right. Again, events happen at the same time. You have to choose stuff. So I never felt like I was missing anything on commuting except the independence thing that a lot of my friends appreciated mm-hmm. of getting away from family, getting away from parents, being able to do laundry when they wanted to do laundry. But my family really helped me in you know, pursuing architecture because I'm in our building is 24-7 on other campuses. So while I was doing that, they were taking taking care of my laundry and making food for me. So when I got home, it was already ready. So it was it was a benefit for me. Yeah, I think the same thing. It's having someone at home to make food is so important because you know he comes home so late. And what are you gonna do then? That was definitely the biggest benefit. It's just same thing. It's, there's always events going on, and you can even go to other colleges' events, which is so funny because it's Columbia's literally two blocks down. If they're having an event. You just go there. It gets if NYU is having an event or the new school, sometimes they do little invites. But even just firms, they have their own little events. They have their own happy hours and stuff. And you could just walk in and go, which is always really nice. And even if there's nothing to do, if you just want to go and walk around on a Saturday, free stuff just comes to you. Sometimes they're like, hey, well, pre-COVID, pre-quarantine. They're like, oh, we have a pop-up shop or 
you know, Google's doing some weird thing where you get free, you know, coffee with marshmallows and your face on it. There's always something to do. And I feel for me, I come from the super. So I kind of have this weird mix of kind of being away from my family, but at the same time being with my grandma. So luckily, you know, I got that whole like feeling of something new, something different, getting to try all these different foods, dumplings and dragon fruit and all those weird things. And so it's a fun mix for me, at least. And I think definitely it's different from what you imagine college life to be, but I think it's a lot more interesting and it's a lot more well-rounded in comparison. Because for me, I think of college parties, college parties as college life when they say, oh, we have a college life, you know, but yeah. City College is pretty much a commuter school in itself. Yeah. yeah. And so the people who are in, in the architecture school, they all pretty much commute, right? I would say that in undergrad, 80% of people commute. And it's those 20% who live really deep in Long Island or Staten Island or like upstate or something that end up moving in. And then in terms of our master's program, all of them live nearby. Um, but the master's program, I believe, is only like 100 people. And of course, they're older than us and stuff. So it's either because they already moved out and stuff and then they're doing architecture. How did your school handle the pandemic? How did you handle your school during the pandemic? <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. It's scary. I remember during that time, that month, you know, everything was going on the news and, oh, it's getting people. Oh, people are getting sick. At that time, they were saying it's a flu. It's not a flu. Maybe it can affect infants. Maybe it only affects elderly. And I had a studio partner and she was really hardworking and all these different things. And she lived with an infant and I lived with my grandma and my grandma, you know, she's old an infant's a child. <laughs> and we were, we cannot continue going to school with the way this sounds. And we were ready to tell our professor, we're not going anymore. <laughs> we're just going to do our work from home. And luckily that was the same week that they decided everyone has to leave the building take all their stuff and go home. It was so scary. It was randomly, almost randomly. They were just, today's the last day. Your next class is the last day. So bring all of your stuff home. And it just felt so weird. I don't know. Yeah, during, it was right. I think CDC ended up calling it an epidemic. And then that's when Keeney was, okay, just be safe. And then CDC called it a pandemic. And then CUNY was, that's when it hit. It was, okay, everyone go home. Like, don't come back. And then we did, they did two weeks of a pause so that teachers could get acclimated onto the online. But then a month in, they did another pause because it wasn't working out. You know, people didn't have Wi-Fi, computers, as Gabby's mentioning, the work environment is how can you do school when, you know, there's 10 other people in your household? So CUNY, I think itself tried its best, which I'll, I'll give them that. In terms of the department, our architecture department, I personally had a critique on it because then they started... They started posting stuff on Instagram as, as a way to communicate, you know, update, you know, latest updates. And I had such a hassle. Was, it's, it's so inappropriate because first of all, you don't even know who's like running the account. Um, yeah, it's school, but is that a professor? Is it a dean? What's happening? Second, with serious matters of life and death, this whole pandemic, you can't be posting on your like Instagram story. Hey guys, don't come to school tomorrow. No. First of all, not everyone's on Instagram. Second, who's going to take that seriously? And third, people could copy and paste that and say that and it's false information. So literally the next day or two days afterwards, CUNY wrote that all information will be commun communicated via email. And we'll have this particular banner and all that because don't trust it. Even, even my professors didn't even know what was happening. So I think that was, a, that was my... That dean too. 
I did have beef with that dean, but either or, it was still, in, in my opinion, inappropriate for any school. I saw how other private schools were dealing with it, and that they were also posting on Instagram or just not having a direct message. And this is so, you pay, they pay, you know, quadruple times our tuition, and they're getting that type of communication for something that's forcing us all to stay home. It's absurd. You have a communications team. We have a communications team. Use it. We're not we're paying for something, right? Sorry, I'm still... Yeah. It was, it was so weird because I obviously, most, a lot of people have Instagram. And so of course, if they have Instagram, they knew, but there's a ton of students who just didn't. And it's, if you weren't going to be giving the real emails, then you can't be giving this type of news because there's just going to be people who are unaware of what's going on. But yeah, I didn't actually have too much of a problem with it just because I was on Instagram, (laughs) but I think definitely that whole transition was a lot of stress because at least for my semester specifically, we had, we were doing um, a study on Paul Rudolph and all of our physical projects were supposed to end up in exhibit at the Paul Rudolph Foundation. And we were so excited about it. We were paying for, you know, expensive bath wood, putting all our time into it. And then, you know, I don't know where they're just, yeah, everything's closed. Your models are going to stay here or you can bring them home if you want and let them, you know, do their thing. But that ended for us and everything had to go online. All that physical work had to go virtual. We had to make everything into booklets. We have a different presentation style for all of our studio work and definitely changing our presentation style is also interesting, but also the work ethic changed completely, you know from people having that excitement of coming to school every day to like being able to sleep till who knows when <laughs> that changed. My partner, she was really, really hardworking. As soon as COVID happened, she kind of faded away and I was, because I really respected her work ethic before that. So I knew, you know, it wasn't her personality. It was just the, the transition. So that, that was fine with me. I think definitely for other people who had different partners, it was not fine, but I was chill with it. And um, you know, it was finding that different ways to present as well as the organization through Zoom. Are they going to have breakout rooms? Is everyone going to be in the same room forever? Desk crits were kind of weird. Sometimes when people were presenting their final work, no one really got to see it because the professor would only be meeting with them for their final presentation. And so that whole thing of learning from others and taking what's good and putting it into your own project kind of disappeared sometimes. And there was this really big lack of connection between the entire studio. It was mainly just you, your partner, and the professor sometimes. So it felt very isolating, especially when you only see the same four walls every single day, which was kind of demotivating a lot of times. Because if you feel you're doing poorly, you just couldn't really go to another student and see, you know, who, what's, what else, what else is going on and how do they figure the same issues out? You said that desk crits were done one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So how did that work? You just shared your screen and just took them through the idea of what you were trying to do. Is that essentially? Yeah. Sometimes professors, they will send an email before class saying their time slot. So they'll say, this group goes this time, that group goes this time. And other times they'll set up a bunch of breakout rooms. So each group goes into their own breakout room so they can work together during the studio day. And then the professor just goes and meets with that person. And it's all we have to prepare pretty much. I mean, some people prepare presentations. For me, my groups, normally we present a couple of tiny little presentations of what we're going to work on or what we've been working on. So, you know, a finished section, a finished map or whatever. 
And we just do a mini version of our regular final presentation, if it was to be a presentation. And then the professor just critiques us and then we go back to doing our work. That's how the desk grids go. They don't really feel a real desk grid anymore. I think for the spring semester, it was, it was a bit easier because, you know, we already developed the idea and it was like mid-semester. So everyone kind of already knew, you know, just make final drawings and stuff. But starting from scratch in the fall semester and the spring semester again, it's so difficult because I'm very much a sketcher and I have trace over my desks the masks full of mason jars full of pens and pencils. And my desks show the evidence of my efforts. The textbook's open, the... You know, I scanned pages and highlighted them and sketched over them. And then this, oh, look, at this is all the information. Let's talk about it and sort through that. And now in the digital world, first sketching, it's, it just doesn't do the job. I even, I, I bought an iPad to sketch because I'm sketching it and then scanning it. Either the shots weren't good or, you know, I just finished that sketch and I have to bring it up or upload it, or Miro wasn't working. So they weren't seeing it, but I was seeing it. Or, you know, having Zoom, Adobe, and and Rhino on your computer at the same time. The lag was ridiculous. So you just, you had to really prepare, whereas at least before you could low-key do things last minute, just show that you're in the middle of something. But Desperate felt you had to already have things fully thought out or fully finished in order to even feel it was worth talking to your professor about. Because if it was half-baked or you didn't draw it correctly in your sketch, then they're like, well, what am I looking at? And then you spend more time just translating your work rather than talking about your conceptual thing or, you know, improving graphics. So, and I think each professor took it differently. Some are really good about, you know, having a middle ground. Other people meet you where you are. Some other professors meet them where they are. So it's definitely an yeah, adventure. I, this year, I learned how important sketching was. Every year passes, hand drawing kind of goes away more and more. During this year, I just realized how much faster and easier it is to get an idea across, especially when it's so hard to communicate with your team members, because you can't really be on Zoom for eight hours. You know, it's just kind of hard, mentally hard. <laughs> Sometimes we'll have to be making rhino models, so that way the person can see what we're thinking about three-dimensionally. And it's really quick to make a lot of decisions a little bit too fast when you're on rhino. Your idea starts warping into this way where not every wall has been actually thought out. It's just because I had to make it three-dimensional. The project takes its own direction and it's kind of bothersome because that collaborative work isn't perfectly melding together. That's kind of the biggest issue I had this semester as a three-part, three-person group, which was the Rhino model doing its own thing sometimes. And, it's like, and also the stress is so much different on Zoom when you have to present and also when when you're just scared because when you're on zoom I sit on the same chair literally all day and sometimes you know I forget to eat because it's so easy to just keep working and I'll have literally my mom will be so nice and she'll bring food next to me and I'll just leave it there because I'm still working <laughs> but it could literally be two seconds away from me and I still don't eat it because I just keep thinking one more minute one more minute and then you find out an hour or two later and it's and it's when I'm on zoom I never got this stressed out during presentations. I love doing presentations, but on Zoom, I would get shaky. I would have a headache literally every Thursday and, and Tuesday, which is every day I had Zoom. I would have this huge headache every single time I present, the hours before presenting. It was crazy. I never felt that way. Why? About what, 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 why? 
I think it's definitely because of being in the same four walls and just looking at a blue screen all day and not moving and not eating. Because at least when you're in studio, you're walking from place to place, your body's moving and you're not looking at a blue screen. <laughs> but it's, it's so intense, even for little things sometimes. Just talking to my professor or doing an interview, I will get shaky. And I've never, I used to never get headaches. I never had migraines or anything. And they're super strong now, which is crazy. Yeah, I get migraines too. I had it even before the pandemic and mine is a little more environment control like based where if you're moving six Spitzer was always cold. So moving from that room to the warmer room, that kind of triggered it. But yeah, staying on the screen so much just made me so nauseous that I would literally have to take like three to four day break and tell my professors from different classes, hey, I, I can't go to like, I'm not coming to class because I have a major migraine. It's so annoying to not even be able to look at my phone to text my mom. Okay, I'm okay. Or, you know, you know, it's past time with Netflix because that's how intense the migraine was. And then I just feel so guilty because of partners. You know, it's not I don't want to do the work. It's if I look at a screen, I'm going to throw up. And obviously that's no way to live a life, let alone do school. And I've been grateful that my professors have been super sweet about it but I hear some other professors they're oh can't you just take Advil or did you get enough or didn't you sleep or something along those lines and just don't talk to me if it was possible it would already be happening right specific email about making accommodation it's and it's those things too it's they don't they just expect work and it's yeah I understand as a professor you're there to push the student but it's just it's so hard when you're having a headache or you're having shaking it's physically affecting you while you're trying to get something done. And it's, what is it? Also, it's for me, what you're saying, you know, sometimes you just like can't come to class. Whatever class is a lecture, I can't even look at it anymore. The audio bothers me too. For some reason, it bothers my ears after an hour or so. But at least I'll just put my phone off. I'll put it on my phone so that way I could bring it with me. And I'll just have it off so that way I don't have to look at the screen. And I'm listening to the audio. But sometimes I even disconnect audio because I just... I'm so sick of hearing digital noise. It's really bad for me for some reason. In terms of software, what type of resources did the school provide you during the pandemic? It took a hot minute, two-ish months for Adobe, the Adobe licenses to come for us to access it, access it through our personal computers. But we had all of Adobe. Rhino is, you know, it's a three-month span. So we just kept renewing emails. And then in terms of they, I think it was midsummer that they purchased the like premiere Zooms. For all the students and then in terms of and then ccny specifically has technology center where they gave chromebooks headphones micro microphones to any students who needed it until mid-october so from march to mid-october and then they also gave you know free mental health things i extended it for people and they expanded i think they hired a bunch of new people a bunch of new people for mental health they also so. gave remote access to the lab computer. So for ArcGIS or anything crazy. And yeah, then, exactly. but we also lost, you know, the gym access, woodshop access and that. So for model making, that kind of stopped happening. Some people can do models. Some people don't do models. I don't do models because my, unless it's paper or something, foam, but I don't do any big models because my family is, they're going to break the house, you know, you're going to make a mess. So I don't do those things. Is there talk about coming back? Yeah, we're doing our department specifically, since we have our own building, we're doing 50% capacity. And there was a committee that, a committee of faculty that 
proposed the whole thing on how to how to do it safely. They're still working out the kinks and details of it, but essentially everyone's gonna have an in-person experience. It's at least studio, and then depending on other electives, depending on the professor's comfortability, as well as you know, a lot of students went back to their home countries and stuff. So it's it's gonna really be all figured out or finalized in October and August and September. Yeah. So we know at least studio, we're going to have at least one in-person type of hybrid thing. Every and week. then talking about the international students, I think that's going to be the hardest thing because you can't come from another country, pay rent for one class a week or one class every two weeks. That would be crazy. During the time, the transition, I actually had a friend who was international and she lives in Dubai. And so during that time, Dubai wasn't open. So she couldn't go back to there because they were not accepting US citizens. And CUNY was changing their dorm situation. And so she was stuck going to like random, distant, distant relative homes. And then there was a point where she was just, hey, are you able to have me for a couple of days? And that was just really crazy because that was deep into the summer at that point. She's been hopping for a couple months. I said, that's horrible. I know. And it's so stressful. I know. I feel like if I was a parent of an international student, but yeah, you're not going back until the school says exactly where you're going to be. <laughs> They're going to drop you off at, you know. And it was also tough for some of my friends, you know, their relatives passed away. So they wanted to go visit, but they're in a different country or different states. They would leave New York City to go visit them or attempt to. And, you know, you're so focused on that. How could you ever do school? It, it was outrageous. It, it was really crazy because there's been so many, you know, just regular deaths. Everyone in my team for this semester has had somebody pass away during the semester. And I had somebody pass away during the winter semester. And they were all really close to us. And, you know, you still have a project to make. You still have things to do. But it's this year specifically, there's just been so much death as well as, you know, worrying about people in the hospital and stuff. And I feel studio is a pretty bad situation to be in because it's project-based so no matter what you have to finish the deadline and so I think there's nothing you can do about it that's just how it is and it's how it's always going to be but that was definitely something very specific to COVID that I don't I don't know how someone would be able to cater to but it was it was 100% a lot to go through as a team. Uh, I'm going to switch gears and just talk about Nomaste? Nomaste? Talks with Nomaste. We'll let you know when you're on Spotify too. Because after you talked with us about Anchor, we like Mm -hmm. actually went to go look at it. And now we got on Spotify. That was all because of you. Oh, I'm glad. Now you're reaching more and more people. Hopefully. We haven't been bending it out, you know, spreading the news so much because finals started coming in as soon as last time we talked. Yeah, exactly. This summer is our time to rise. So how did this come about? How did this start? always wanted to do ever since I took on social media share in my second year there were just so many great conversations being had at Spitzer either about studio or about architecture about life and all these students had very lucky to be in different groups and you know being in person I got to hear all these things happening and I was like this would be perfect for a podcast just anyone listening to it and then, you know, no one wants to sit down for an hour. It doesn't feel as organic when, you know, someone pulls out the tape recorder. Mm-hmm. So 
when the pandemic hit, I was, this is kind of the perfect time to do it because everyone misses each other so much. They haven't seen each other. So I started it last spring. Wow, it's been a year. And started off with the basics of just us, Noma, the, whoever was on the Noma sport, you did three episodes. But then it was, you know, May and June and people were graduating in COVID. So then I did that series, graduating COVID, and brought together, or tried to bring together, I think it was like five groups of, you know, graduating students. And they really loved it. They were, this is a perfect outlet. It's so nice to see everyone because they literally hadn't seen each other since February because they're not in the same studio. Life is busy, all that. I mean, I was like, oh, wow, this is a potential. And then from then on, it was just finding opportunities to, you know, connect and record those conversations so other people could hear the anxieties, but the hopes and the potentialness of everything. Yeah, it was, I was part of the first one with Nicole as the producer. So she didn't talk in that one, but she was there guiding it all. And we had, I think, three people. Half of our board was talking on there. And we were just talking about the first time we realized that uh, quarantine was going to happen and how big the pandemic was really going to impact us. And it was such a crazy talk. You know, after you go to yoga or something or after you have a nice massage, that's how it felt. Wow. I feel so lifted. <laughs> was it, it was just encouraging to see everybody. It was just the conversation. It was just a combination of all that, right? Yeah, yeah. A combination and just talking about the things that you really haven't gotten to talk about. Because in studio, you know, you could talk all day. But once you're at home, it's the only talk unless, you only message somebody unless there's a reason. Mm-hmm. You know? Nicole, this is the last year. Once you graduate, then what? Get a job? <laughs> yeah, it sounds so dull. I, I've, there's a few things up in the air. I want to continue with AIS and they have elections and stuff and the president and vice president where it's a full-time job in DC. So I'm definitely interested in that. And I would be doing it in December and then be doing it for the next academic year. You know, if, you know, plans change, I definitely want to get licensed just to raise the statistics because <laughs> it's just so tiny. It's irksome. And a lot of my friends want to get licensed too. So since we're all graduating around the same time, it seems like, it seems like a good plan to do it right after school and, you know, share the air, study, study books and stuff together. So that's my main goal after, right after college. But then, you know, midterm and long-term goals. I love working for the city. My current job is city-related and have real change to, the, to just the streetscape. And I'm working with real owners of properties or, or residents and giving, helping them change their own neighborhood. So I'm trying to get into that field. What job is that? Right now, it's, I'm at the Flatiron 23rd Street Partnership. Sorry, it's a long name. And technically I'm digital marketing, but I help with the streetscape, the economic d- development and streetscape. So we're helping restaurants build out their, you know, their outdoor dining. We're also, DOT is having a Broadway vision. I don't know if you guys seen it, but they are trying to revision Broadway to be more pedestrian friendly. So as a, as a bid, a business improvement district, we're trying to convince them to let the entire Broadway be it, not just bits and pieces. So Surprisingly, I'm doing a lot of diagrams and some drawings and pitching ideas and stuff. So it feels very, a good mesh between architecture and the real change. That's more meaningful than those luxury condos that I built. As a digital marketer or marketing intern, I have to do weekly and monthly roundups of what's happening in the district. And then I see the numbers are crazy. There's these three hedge fund companies that bought, I forgot the name of the building, but 
they bought a, a whole entire building block for 13.1 like billion dollars and they're going to redevelop it and it's just what is happening right now like where's oh. all this money coming from and who's going to get hired and do we really need to build out more offices literally midtown is drained is has a surplus of offices do we genuinely need another one so i really so. i really hope that these offices stop existing you know how 50 percent of all the skyscrapers aren't even being used like exactly. it bothers me so much and you know the rent's too high california and new york we we have such crazy home insecurity because the rent is high not because of anything else it's just because those are the most expensive places to live in so of course people are going to be scared of losing their homes and people keep saying, oh, people are leaving New York by the dozen, you know, thousands a week. But because these people are so rich and they're able to keep these buildings empty for no reason, it's never, the, the rent's not going to change at all. You know, it's so sad. I don't know. Gets me bothered. <laughs> so speaking of futures, is that part of it? Fight the man in the office building. What, what are you going to do after you graduate? For me, I don't know. I have so many angry thoughts. I don't know. That's a weird term. It sounds really cool. But so many things I don't enjoy about New York City that I, I you know, I love New York City as much as I hate it, you know? So it, it, it's even, it's, we're neutral. But it's, some parts of me really just want to get away because of, you know, the air pollution, the, you know, the schooling is so stressful. The whole top eight testing and all that. Since I didn't go into New York as, you know, for public school that I was doing uh, New Jersey, just knowing how the school system is set up bothers me so much. Knowing how much the MTA makes, but it all goes to New York State and not New York City, even though they make trillions every year. And New York's, oh, we're so poor. It's, I don't think so. You're getting 575 for me every day, every day and more sometimes. So I don't understand how you could be so poor. But anyway, just their whole financial situation bothers me. And after school, I I'm just Nicole, I want to get licensed as fast as possible. My whole goal this year was finding a real architectural internship because I've had a lot of, you know, different internships as well as random side gigs and stuff that just totally weren't architecture related, but they were definitely fun, you know, but now, so I feel I'm finally on my way towards an architectural path. So that way when people look at my resume, they're not, oh, you want to do something outside of architecture? Oh no, I'm dedicated. I'm just very curious and explorative too, okay? And so yeah, I definitely want to go into architecture and the type of firm I want to go into is definitely something that I'm still unclear about because I do have these feelings about, oh, you know, down with the man type of stuff. Capitalism is the worst, making everyone sad. And New York City is, you know, the exaggerated version of all of what's wrong sometimes. And so I don't know, because I want a lot of money and I don't want to be poor. But at the same time, if you want to do your own thing, you know, get into your own type of activism, you're going to have to be able to break away from a nine to five and build it out yourself, which means a lot of work and not knowing whether or not you will be paid. And so I, it's really hard for me to really know what I want yet. I still don't know what I want. So it, <laughs> that will never, ever stop. And I think that if, if I was to give either of you advice, right, remember how you feel now, maybe write it down so that 10 years from now, you won't forget. And then you may end up being stuck at a firm you really wasn't meant to stay that long for or 
you end up being miserable, but don't understand why you why you're miserable or you know whatever. I think it's important to write it down now, so that the future you could remember the past you. That makes sense. Yeah, we should do future future letters to ourselves. Right. Yeah. I graduated today. These are all my hopes and dreams. And then ten years later, those are my hopes and dreams. What happened to them? <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Because it's. I mean, you guys are. You know bright-eyed and just the world is just waiting for you and and then you hit 30 and then you what happened what happened so you are the future I think that's it is there anything else you guys want to talk about I really like that thought though you know right now it does feel anything's possible and I'm scared (laughs) to end up in a company where it's you know everyone's doing the same thing as me we're all doing the same types of tasks I feel in art in school, you see people who are doing, you know, 20 different things, who have 20 different expectations for how their future is going to end up. But I'm scared to end up somewhere where it's, we all think the same. And we all think that this is going to be the death of us as well. You know, till death do us part. Right. If it's a company I truly enjoy, then I'm cool. Would you ever leave the state? For New York, definitely. I would, if I decided to have a family, I would leave. Because I don't want them growing mm. up in that air quality situation. <laughs> We're going through that stressful school process that scares me. And then kind of for my own health, I would kind of leave too, because New York depresses me a little bit. And maybe it's just because I grew up in the suburbs. I'm used to nice air and I, I don't know. But the air is really what's bothering me, as you can tell. So I, I really do want to leave and I want to not pay so much in taxes. Still going to be in New England, then Vermont or Maine or something, or? Maybe. My sister, she's really into personal finance and she's telling me South Dakota is where I should go. <laughs> so whenever, whenever it makes more sense, money-wise, that's my intentions. But for an internship, I kind of want to just go anywhere random. I saw these internships abroad too. Your, your, European countries are looking for New Yorkers or U.S. students. I think for me, I definitely want to work in different places just to get more more well-rounded and not to be so U.S. or New York City focused on approaching, you know, future design problems. I think, I, I don't even think of family when I start a family yet, so I don't know. I feel like I'm the type that will, I'll eventually end up dying in New York, but between that, between now and then, I'm pretty much where, where any, wherever the wind takes me. Have you guys been abroad yet? I went to Barcelona for my study abroad, and then I go to AIS conferences and AIA conferences, so they've taking me throughout the nation here and there. Similar. I went to Israel during my undeclared year, which now is a really hot topic. And I didn't know anything about Israel before going. And then I learned way too much after going. And then I also been to conferences that took me to Dubai and California. Wow. I haven't been over there at all. Wow. (laughs) I I don't know. I didn't think I was ever going to leave the East Coast before starting school. That was crazy to me. I didn't even think I was going to be in a plane. No, unless a 24-hour flight, you know. It was actually 9 or 12, something like that. But the re- crazy. Was it the work flight? Yeah, it was direct. Wow. Oh, yeah, because you, yeah, okay. I mean, you can go direct almost anywhere from New York. Yeah. And one last thing that we didn't talk about, too, it's identity for your, do yourselves, because you you both identify as biracial or multiracial. Have you thought about traveling to your 
home countries? I think I think it's, I'm so white passing that Filipinos don't even recognize that I'm Filipino. Even some of my friends, they say I don't even look Asian and stuff. So it's, I've never had to deal with that. But my other friends who are more, who look more Filipino, immediately they start speaking Tagalog or the languages. I never have to really... I guess, address my identity unless I have to explicitly say, oh, I'm also from the Philippines or, oh, my mom's from there. Then it's just a side conversation, but it's never like, super upfront, which I don't know if that's lucky or not lucky. I also don't know the language, which is another immigration family story. A lot of my friends, right, they don't know Spanish, but their moms and grandmothers do. I don't know Tagalog and I don't know Russian. So it's, it's a lose-lose situation. I'm in neither Like there's no, the closest thing I could actually just identify to is just being a New Yorker. It's really sad. And I try to be more, I'm writing a paper about the Philippines in my classes. I I wanted to do my thesis about the Philippines and Russia, but thesis in our school isn't working out. So I feel like I'm losing opportunities to concretely explore my culture, which is disheartening. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't know Spanish at all. And sometimes people see me as, I guess, black passing, not white passing. And they will, they don't even think anything. They, oh, you're not, they don't even think I'm Dominican or anything. And it's, so Dominican people don't think I'm Dominican. And it's really annoying sometimes because it's feeling that rejection, just not even knowing who you are. They, they don't even think so. They think you're just, you know, any other person. They're not part of their group. And then, then when you do say, oh yeah, I'm Dominican too. And you try to, you know, be friendly and things. Sometimes they're like, well, you don't even speak Spanish and it's just getting rejected again, you know, and it's really painful in that type of way. And then also sometimes strangers will say they only know Spanish. And so they'll look, sometimes they'll come up to me when they do recognize who I am and they're just trying to say something to me and they're lost or something. They, they need directions. And I just feel so bad because I can't help them. And I know how they feel, you know, you know how it feels to be lost and not know anything about what's going on. So I'll, I'll try to, you know, do Google Translate or show a map or something. But in reality, I just feel I'm wasting time sometimes. And I just feel really bad, you know. But in terms of going back to my own, going back to DR or going back to really learn, it's kind of hard for me. It's even hard for me to learn Spanish too. Because it's, you know, just so much of people picking on you, people bullying you, people saying, oh, you're so white, oh, you're so this, just because you don't know it. And it's having to learn it and then having to speak it to other people just to get the same response that no matter how well you do, because you're not fluent or because you don't even sound you're close to fluent, you know people are going to pick on you. So I know if I were to ever go back and start going into it intensely learning, I would have to go through at least a couple years of people just saying, well, you're not really Dominican or you're not really this and that. And it's that type of bullying I just don't want to go to. So it stops me from even wanting to start to learn or wanting to go back to my country because I don't really want them to, you know, just throw all that at me. It's the pressure. Thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thanks for the invite again. This is our first time being guests, so it's a good experience. This is really fun too. I just, I was just fun time. We were kind of going everywhere. Yeah. That's <laughs> and I, I like how it wasn't just about, you know, business or whatever. It was also a lot about feeling of just stress and life and identity. There's a whole movie. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Hey listeners, I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating this show 
And it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week. But it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today. <laughs>